Hello listeners, this is Mike Solosi. Retro Encounter is only a few weeks away from episode 150, and we're planning to make it a mailbag episode in which we respond to as many listener emails as we can. So if you wanted to send us a discussion topic idea, a question about the podcast, or a suggestion for a game journal episode in the future, please send an email to retro at rpgfan.com before we record the episode in mid-August. We are 100% going to choose at least one future episode from listener suggestions, but first we need those emails. So again, the email address is retro at rpgfan.com. We'll respond to as many messages as we can in episode 150. But that's enough for me. Now here is the latest episode of Retro Encounter. Welcome to episode 146 of Retro Encounter, RPG Fan's weekly podcast of many topics. I'm Mike Solosi, and I'm your host for today, as I've been the host for the whole month, because July 2018 is Lunar Month on Retro Encounter. We are in the fourth of four episodes, all about the Lunar series of video games. And joining me on this uh, fourth Lunar episode, second Lunar 2 episode, is Rob Fenner. It's me. Um... Build guillotines for all the four heroes. Well, two of them, anyway. No, no, no justice, no peace for these guys. Yeah, yeah. You know what? Uh, they're unusually merciful towards the four heroes in this game. But we'll uh, we'll get to that very soon. Also joining Rob and I is Leona McCallum. Hey, shapeshifters. <laughs> okay, <laughs> I'm trying to. I, I don't remember any any shapeshifters in this game. Am I cra- am I crazy? No, no. Okay, <laughs> it's, okay. A James, it's a James Mansfield reference. All right, I, I, wait. A James Mansfield, Mansfield, and not Jane Mansfield. Because I know it's a drag queen. Oh, okay, <laughs> okay, okay. So James Mansfield is definitely named after Jane Mansfield, then, because I'm, I'm very, I'm very familiar with Jane Mansfield. Oh boy. <laughs> uh, but uh, okay, um, completely unrelated to drag queens, unless there's something he isn't telling me. We're also joined by Chris Gebauer. I mean, I've done some fun shows. Oh, okay. But, uh, okay. Hi, everyone. All right. We have not had this conversation before, Chris, and I apologize if I am misrepresenting you. But... No, it's fine. I've worked a few burlesque shows before, though. <laughs> All right. And joining Chris, Leona, Rob, and I is streamer extraordinaire. Wow. I, I think I messed up my R or a W or something there. Scott Clow- uh, Clay, right? That's okay. Yes, Clay. <laughs> yeah. We got there. Fox and Cloud? Yeah, no, right. <laughs> no I, actually, I actually I was confusing Scott Clay with Scott McCloud, who is a. Uh, oh yeah, Highlander. The, yeah, um, yeah. Not, he, I think it's not a big Highlander. No, well, no, no. Uh, Scott McCloud is a comics author. Uh, there can be only one. Yeah. <laughs> but um, and, and actually, uh, Scott McCloud's book, Understanding Comics, is very, very good, and I recommend it to everyone. But I also recommend uh, Lunar Two to everyone because that is what we're ta- <laughs> what we're supposed to be talking about this Transition. episode. Transition. <laughs> I've got also very I'm not, tired. <laughs> I am very tired. And I'm not sure if all this podcast hosting has gotten me better or worse at transitions cuz honestly like I've I have put out some real clunkers over the years. But uh <laughs> 
One thing that isn't a clunker is Lunar 2 Eternal Blue. I am playing the PS1 version Eternal Blue Complete, which I think all five of us are playing, because yeah. uh, because screw that save system on the Sega CD version, and uh, <laughs> and I think those are the only two versions of Lunar 2 avail Eternal Blue available in English, unless was there an English nope. ver English release no. of the Saturn version? No. No. Okay, so yeah, we're all playing it on uh, Eternal Blue Complete, which is probably the best version to play in English unless you are really, really attached to Sega CD audio. Now, before we get into the meat of the discussion into Lunar 2, I want to pick on Chris and Leona briefly, uh, because you are our two Lunar 2 newbies. This is your first time playing the game, and uh, we're, we're going to save in-game discussion for the end of the episode, but can you give me two or three sentences, your overall impressions of playing Lunar 2 for the first time, starting with you, Chris? Uh, impressed by how well fleshed out the whole cast is by the end, uh, truly enjoyed the journey as much as I didn't exactly love the grind. I think this game is pretty special, actually. Awesome. Okay. And Leona, same question. I really loved this game. Uh, by the end, especially the ending, I just found it so adorable. Uh, and the inventory was system is better than Lunar 1, so that instantly makes it great. <laughs> it's not hard to have a better inventory system than Lunar 1. Uh, also, Leo, 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 Leo. And, uh, Leo. <laughs> yes. Uh, absolutely with you on Leo, comma, Leona. Um, now, Rob, uh, you have played the Lunar series about as much as any of us, but you I think you mentioned that you never finished Lunar 2, uh, but, but but got partway through a number of times. Uh, at first, am I right in saying that? And also, uh, what, what's your overall impression playing this game? I got for... partway through once, okay. and uh, then kind of swore off it for the better part of uh, of a quarter of a century. But now I'm I'm back. I vanquished Borgen. I saw the rest of the game out. I'm largely largely positive um however the second half of this game you can really see where working designs have messed with some integers and um a uh, lot of uh a lot of uh battles and bosses uh just sort of wear you down and there's not a whole lot you can do i'm especially looking at the uh, boomba boys in um zabak mines that sent me back <laughs> the title screen a few times yeah with, blind fury with with those um we can get into a gameplay discussion a little bit. One thing that the Lunar games do very well that I'm not sure we've mentioned over four episodes yet is that uh, they have those animation tells where yeah. you can tell what an enemy is going to do by their uh, by their idle animation when you're choosing your attacks. And for those yeah. Boomba things, if they had lit a fuse on themselves, you know mm. that they were going to be doing that explodey attack on you. So when I saw that more, if more than, say, one of those things was going to explode on me, I just had everyone defend and just just let it happen. Mm. Yeah, but, I suppose I should have defended. I just, I always <laughs> have this this idea in my head that defend is uh, is useless in the majority of, uh, of JRPGs. So uh, you, you I, know... I should have used that. Since they were so much faster than everybody else in my party, and just like trying to run away and failing was just a death sentence. I, I definitely used to think that the defend command was for the weak, but then I don't know. Um, I've played so much Seventh Saga and Bravely Default that now I think of the defend command more as a weapon than as a than as a a, a failure option. Yeah, <laughs> very there's, astute. There's, very astute. There's three things the game like wants you to start doing like halfway through the game after you get the Pentagulia. 
and that causes problems too. It's like you're so used to after you've played Blue Bear One, right? And you're so used to saving MP, right, for like these dungeons, so you can get to the final the, the boss, right? But mm. there's so many dungeons that you can just spam MP, spam MP, and then just like walk back to the entrance, heal, run all the way back to the entrance, and there's no enemies there. Like, and the game never tells you that. It never tells you that. So you can get I think it depends on the dungeon. AOEs. Um, the Goddess Tower. The well, Goddess in, the only one you can't do. In, in, the, in the Dragon Caves, um, enemies do respawn. They do. But, I'm, you know, I, I didn't really test this with more than one or two dungeons. Cause Cause I, the, Red I, Dragon I, Cave, the Red Dragon Cave definitely does. White Dragon Cave Really? Does. Yeah, Red Dragon Cave. There's a there's a thing right outside. I know, like you used to, you think where you're like you gain all your party members back. You can't you can't go back in and then respawn. But it doesn't work for Red Dragon Cave. Red Dragon Cave, Blue Dragon Cave, you could do it. Huh. All right. I I didn't test that very much, but I I did think that Lunar Two was a little bit more generous with their placement of sort of end game goddess statues than Lunar One was. Yeah. And and yeah. you did get randomly healed before a handful of boss fights, which was welcome. Yeah, I mean, um, yeah, if there hadn't been that statue before Althena, that would have been frustrating as so. hell. Yeah. Those mm -hmm. two, the other two things the game never touched about are the field effects. And... Yes, yeah, the field effects. Yeah, they came out of nowhere. Yeah, yeah the, uh, fortunately there aren't that many field effects. The um the four Dragon Fiend bosses have them, and I think, yeah. uh, oh, shoot, one that of the late... That even more confusing. Yeah, one of the, <laughs> one of the late so game Zophar things I think has it, Am I or am I mistaken? Maybe. Okay, but definitely those four dragon um, yeah. fiend bosses do, and I, and the red dragon and black dragon yeah. both wiped me. I think once each before I realized, mm -hmm. oh, I need to I need to cast Lemon's field effect spell, and but she's slow, so I either have to give her a Chiro mm -hmm. tail or like preemptively cast it. It's the the, the, the boss timing can get a little weird, yeah. and and it and it is underexplained. Even um, the icon that says that there's a field effect in in effect, for right. lack of a better word, is um, a little bit too drab and kind of blends in. With the... Yeah, no, it's it's hard to see, and and it doesn't and even it doesn't tell you that tell it's you done. It it's nope. Yeah. It's it, like, oh, this is a fire enemy. I knew that. Thank you. Well, fire no, it's it's more like the using the fire dragon as an example. Like the fire dragon casts their initial fire spell that creates a fire field effect. It doesn't tell you about the field effect. It only shows the icon in the lower right. Yep. And it, and it's and you don't really know what that is unless you, you unless know, you notice it unless you, you no, notice it, it and then figure it out by dying or you know have a guide on at uh, at your side which I did for much of the second half of this uh, playthrough but maybe not all of it I I definitely used it for like as a checklist to make sure I didn't miss anything in the epilogue but uh, we haven't I had to look it up because there was no field effect in the Sega CD version so it was like oh here's this thing that oh just hadn't been mentioned um, and just you know. I've played for thirty hours, and now here's a thing that nobody's going to say anything about. So, and, and if one of the if one of those dragons gives a does a uh, full screen attack with that field effect in place, you will die. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's, it's yeah, over. That's dead. That's, that was the last thing I wanted to say too. Is like the game after the White Dragon Cave, it wants you to spam White Dragon Protect on every oh, yeah. single boss. Mm -hmm. All and I did. <laughs> yeah, I seriously. didn't. I didn't need it for every boss, but for more than half of them, definitely. Um. But but yeah, it's White Dragon Protect is a very very important tool for the second half of the game. But uh, we're already talking about battle mechanics. Uh, Scott, <laughs> um, you're uh, a Lunar super fan. Um, Lunar one and two, in some order, are the two greatest games of all time. Yes. Uh, do you still hold this opinion? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, Lunar two is still my favorite game. I just I like the way it ends. It just it's fun. It's campy, but it, it's fun. It's like. There's two really good endings, I think. You want to continue, consider the first one, the first part of the ending, but it's it's fun. I like it, and um, I still like 
even though the mechanics are, it gets kind of hard. It's, once you played it so much, you kind of know how to abuse everything, and you kind of know how to get to the game pretty quickly. Okay. I mean, all right, that's our message to fans. Um, Lunar Two is hard, but once you've played it seven times, it it it, feel, it seems easy. That's more than seven. <laughs> so so um, that's our recommendation: play it seven times, and it won't seem it hard twice anymore. In July. <laughs> Dedicate a chunk of your life to this yeah. game, mm -hmm. and you will be happy. <laughs> or you could just you know, like check a guide or uh, yeah, that's <laughs> just, just listen to your friendly podcasters. Probably so. But, okay, uh, now where we left off was, um, I guess early on in Disc 2, uh, uh, we sort of covered the events of your first visit to Pentagulia in our first Lunar 2 podcast episode last week. But uh, mm -hmm. now we are back in the thick of it, and they, uh, the player needs to conquered the four dragon caves and also resolved the side quests of five of your party members or four of your party members. Mm -hmm. um, and Yeah, Leo and Ronfar kind of get roped yeah. into the same, don't I, they? Well, I, I was talking yeah. about Ruby. Ah, because, of course. Yeah, um, and I, I, I wasn't counting Leo, but, but was counting Ruby because uh, Leo is uh, <laughs> sadly not a permanent party member until disc three. But... Uh, Basically, the, those four dungeons both sort of set up the final confrontation with Zophar, uh, including a big dramatic thing at the end of Disc 2 that I definitely want to get to, but also revol <laughs> um, resolve these sort of character quests or more character-specific um, storylines one by one. And I, I, in general, it, it felt very neat. Like, uh, I, think I, I think I might have used a bowling analogy last episode too, but they're sort of setting up the pins and then you're knocking them down one by one uh, in this, uh, in disc two. But um, let's uh, skip over Null for now. Uh, let's talk about what happens at the Blue Dragon Cave. Um, so basically for three quests in a row one of your characters you know defeats someone from their past and then you get a dragon aura and then you conquer a dragon cave and get a dragon crest and so and that starts with Jean, Lun and the blue dragon so um Rob what do we think of Jean's character transformation and more importantly her outfit change um I like this, and at the same time, there's there's so much around this quest that I like and I don't like. Um, I do very much like um, Jean uncovering the identity of Lun as the uh, as a leader of the Shadow Dragon Cult and sort of like taking her limiter off. Um, whereas uh, as a dancer, she's like competent at inflicting status effects and like using items very quickly, but uh, she really shines as the as the Kung Fu master. Uh, when she starts, um, you know, she starts dashing around the field and doing about double damage that she did with her fan. And then um, she gets all those handy, handy martial arts techniques. Yeah. Um, and she's really grumpy in her character portrait from then on. <laughs> no, <laughs> no I mean, smile. intense, right? Intense. Yeah, it's pretty grumpy. Let's be honest, it's pretty it, grumpy. It, it, it's stern. <laughs> uh, I mean, grumpy, I think, is uh, it has a different connotation. But, but it is, it, it, is. She does look Sorry, like she's disgruntled with everything. Yeah, <laughs> she really does. <laughs> it's almost like she had a tragic past where she had martial arts beaten into her as a child. You think? Oh, oh it's wow. like someone just farted every time she walks into the room. I'm not sure which one. <laughs> yeah, but but in dialogue, she still stays pretty sassy. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, and she has a lot of fun with Ron Farr's jokes still, which is yeah. Great. And I think Ron Farr tries to grab her ass literally like an hour after his the love of his life is revived. 
Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. It's while he thinks the world is getting destroyed. Yeah. Now, now is is that a Victor Ireland or is that? Um, I would you love know, to see the original you, because you, I can't see that being in there. You, you know, it is dialogue only. I'm I'm, I'm yeah. sorry, voice only, so that we don't know. Uh, we do not know, uh, or I do not know what the Japanese is. That could very well be Victor Ireland, but. Uh, uh, yeah, Jean is still sassy, but she uh, is in a new. She has a new style and a new move set. Um, she has a bunch of martial arts techniques that make her uh, not not a discount. Alex, a, a, for a while, she, I think Blue Dragon Palm is stronger than Alex's Poe Sword. Uh, so she's. Oh, a, you did it again! You did it oh, again! Shoot! It's Hero, not Alex. Damn it! All right. Okay. <laughs> okay. Discount Alex is fine, but it's Hero's Poe Sword and not Alex's Poe Sword. I'm sorry. These. He's a discount Alex uh, too. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> These generic lunar protagonists, like, like I, I love the, uh, this, the companions in these lunar games, but the, the main character is just, is just a boring sword boy vessel. every just time. Mm -hmm. it's, he has a boomerang this time. <laughs> Dynamic. Oh, oh, the Lord in this yeah. Fire Emblem game has different blue hair than the past four. <laughs> this one's cape is red. <laughs> to, be fair, to be fair, Hero talks a lot more than Alex. That's true. I mean, um, I and Alex's main line is Luna, and he says that at least half the time <laughs> it's it's almost like a it's almost like vague and claire from uh, tales of rebirth but in uh, uh hero is marginally more interesting than alex but they're still similar enough that i mix them up all the time and uh anyway back to gene and lun i i love martial arts movies and stories like i i mean i think i mentioned in the previous episode how much i like uh um, like Shaw Brothers movies, like Thirty Six Chambers of Shaolin and Five Deadly Venoms. So having a martial arts tournament arc with a one-on-one -on -one showdown at the end of it is one hundred percent my jam. And and I I like Jean's new clothes because the uh, asymmetrical collar and the tiger the tiger stripe look is like yeah all right this is cool. Um, well I mean I I did miss her uh, her global range on her fan attacks, but I uh, I did appreciate the plus one attack and the. Uh, uh, so she can just combo enemies the whole game and uh, and her new moves, which were great. I I really like Jean's arc, and um and and it, it's both physically transformative and personality transformative. Like she's uh, putting her Shadow Dragon cult past behind her while accepting her martial arts arts identity at the same time. With that whole, uh, <laughs> uh, it's almost like a Kung Fu Panda thing. There is no secret ingredient. Like the uh, there's a. Uh, yeah, it was within you all along. There's no difference between the blue fist and the shadow fist. It's only what's in your heart. It's a very, very, you know, like poorly translated martial arts movie. But I am also 100% into that. So I, I uh, Jean might be my favorite character in the game. It's either her or Leo, and it's because of this arc and uh, and her transformation in the her little mini arc. Uh, so let's let's get something straight here. So uh -huh. Master Lun is the he is uh, disguised as the benevolent leader of the of the Blue Dragon Fist School. Mm -hmm. He's the leader of Moribia. Um, and then Jean uncovers that he's secretly the leader of the Shadow Dragon cult. Um, yes. All the while, he's like taking part in a tournament with his Shadow Dragon members, and the whole village of Horam knows that he's the cult leader. And like, how exactly how much of a secret is this really? Um, I think. The uh, his his master definitely knew about the Shadow Dragon stuff, but everyone else. Not everybody else in that town. I, I'm not sure everyone else did because they. Uh, it, it's like like Lun is globally known as the as the Blue Dragon hero, and uh, didn't they react with surprise when um 
when something uh, when something was revealed about Lun in Horam before the tournament? Yeah. Uh, uh, maybe maybe I... the, par the party members or. The party members did. I, but... thought the, I thought the people in the dojo were uh, were like, I, oh, I, I wanted to join this dojo because of Master Lun or something. Like, I think and that. Old, like, I think that maybe. But, but then he turned evil and walked away. Well, <laughs> it's weird. It, it, it... I thought that only the master and his inner circle maybe knew about mm. Lun, but then it was it was made very very public when Lun agreed to join this tournament because yeah. this tournament isn't like an annual thing. It, this was a <laughs> it, it was a challenge made by Lun uh, to by his made to Lun by his former master, right? Yeah. Yes. I, I think to also be fair though, like it's across an ocean. Like that that sounds like across an ocean from the other thing. I mean, you it's go across, across a the lake. Ocean, like, <laughs> well, I guess it feels like a lake. You go so fast in the destiny, but it technically—I guess it would technically be an ocean. I guess a lunar. But, Even more yeah. than that, I feel like by this point in the story of the world, uh, yeah. everyone's, most people are either under some sense of Zophar control and I wouldn't so. care if they know the truth, because when you're talking to most of the people at the tournament, they either know or they don't, and either way, they seem totally obsessed with whatever's in their moment to moment and nothing else. And then everywhere else you go, everyone seems to be aware, or again, just completely under control, like when we see Mari and everyone else. Honestly, I have, I have uh, a bigger problem with uh, everyone accepting Galleon as a champion of the goddess uh, so, oh, yeah. e so easily. Um, around the end of disc one, mm. I think, is when that was. But right after that, you get the blue dragon aura and conquer the blue dragon cave, and it's... Are any of these dragon caves meaningfully different from each other? It's like, oh, this one has fire... Oh, oh! This one has a ghost ship enemy. They're 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 kind of normal dungeons. Yeah, yeah. I, I, yeah I think compared grindy. to the, the yeah, compared to the yeah. dragon dungeons in Lunar One, which kind of had their own little, I guess, kind of mechanic. Each one of them, but this one has nothing. Yeah, all of them are exactly. I feel like that way about most of the dungeons in the second half of the game. They're all just oh, yeah. linear. Well, not linear, but like this sort of caves generally, that had nothing special about them. Yeah, they're, nope. they're either caves or ruins, and um, they're n very few of them have unique mechanics. Uh, they're all full of, but they're all full of treasure and enemies, so oh boy. I, uh, Ch uh, chalk fill. <laughs> yeah, I, I hope you, uh, yeah. you know, I, I hope you're good at, man at managing your MP or SP or whatever is in this game. But, uh, and, and I think we did talk about the bosses of each one of those dungeons. Um, they're, it's called either a, uh, I think they're called dragon fiends, or maybe, uh, or maybe like yeah. Black, yeah, fiend. black black fiend, blue fiend, etc. And they have that uh, that field elemental mechanic, which can be difficult to work around unless you either have a guide or are able to figure it out. Um, I thought the hardest one was the black fiend. It for some reason I just felt like I was I felt like I was all I was sort of under attack all the time and sort of and. Uh, I wasn't dealing a ton of damage. Like, I mean, I think the Red Fiend dealt more damage to me, but I was dealing more damage to it, while the Black Fiend was just yes. strong against everything. Well, he's he's strong against, like, all physical attacks, um, yep. and he's got that uh, move that will, like, sap the whole party's MP. Yeah. 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 He's a toughie. I just, like, I was really, it was a real battle of attrition with him. Like, my party members were dying, and then I'd revive them, and then he'd, like, kill off yep. Gene and Lemina again, and that just, like, <laughs> kept happening. And I thought I was done for, and then I just managed to knock him out at the 11th hour. Completely I, unexpected. I, I think I think that's, like, happens with a lot of the bosses, actually. You think they, like, they start, like, they start, like, wearing on you, and then all of a sudden, boom, they're dead. It's yeah. Like, I don't even know if they're dead. They're, boom, they're dead. 
they all seem to follow a pattern, but and and you can exploit that if you uh, if you're able to discern the pattern and you, and you know time uh, white dragon protect at the right moment. But if you're a little unprepared, uh, you, you can lose. I think I lost once each to the white, black, and red dragons, and then just adjusted equipment or yeah. adjusted when I cast white dragon protect, yeah. and, then I, and then I was able to beat them the second time you without can... a problem. Well, yeah. There, there's two there's two ways to you do white dragon protect or if you get double chiro tails you can have Rontor go first yeah. like no matter what and I I only had it. one chiro tail so and it was on I think Lemina permanently because I yeah I, I I wanted to have I wanted her to be a Nash mage that always went first instead of a Mia mage that was much stronger but always went last when you have when you have double chiro tails on her for like just normal battles she just you you just you hit one button most of the game you just hit one button boom 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 all the normal battles. I should have done that. You get Chiro tails. Is that in the White Dragon Cave, or is that early? You have to. You have to steal them from the Chiros in that rare spawn in the White Dragon Cave. You okay, yeah. Them. Or exactly. you can beat like them. the Metal Slime. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Or you can beat them for thirty-three thousand experience points, but you can't do that until late game. So. Fortunately, um, I think that you're not allowed to see steal the Thief Staff that you get for Lem Lemina. So. Uh, uh, I mean, you're not you're not allowed to sell the uh, thief yeah. staff that no. Lemina gets, so that that's very. I fortunately it belongs I never... to Vein. She, you can't sell a magic thing of Vein. She won't let you. You it for money. Yeah. You, you can sell every other staff, but not that one. Uh, but uh, again, I think I only had one Chiro tail, and I if, if you grind for a couple more, I bet the game is much easier. Yes. If, if you're if you're, gar if you're guaranteed to have Lemina and Ron Fargo first. Yeah, that seems to be a major strat online: is the that's, two Chiro tails for Lemina or Ron Fargo. Yeah, that's all you got to do. But anyway, let's move on to a different atrocity com uh, committed by one of the world's heroes. Uh, in Neo Vein, um, there's a very you know interesting version of e of inequality that I, I guess predates <laughs> Chrono Trigger. But there's a uh, all of the magic users live in this beautiful floating city, and all of the non-magic users are committed to slums and dungeons <laughs> and mines. Uh, mm. Again, slight slightly like Zeal and Chrono Trigger, but I think Lunar Two did it first. Um, uh, Leona, what are your thoughts on Borgen and Neo Vein? Uh, but not really the Black Dragon quest. I guess just what happens in Neo Vein. Uh, what are your thoughts on it? Uh, I think <laughs> it's very confusing. Uh, Borgen as like and how he's treated. Uh, yes, yeah, a terrible <laughs> person. But the game kind of treats it like he's a a sort of scamp. Misunderstood. <laughs> yeah. Rapscallion. Like, oh, and the relationship with Lemina's mother is so weird. It's like, oh, sure, he kidnaps me, but he's okay, really. Sure, he sentences all these people to work in mines, but he's such a looker. <laughs> I, I, I don't think hey. she calls him a looker, but, I, but I, she is unusually forgiving. She's blind. Oh, no, she she kind of likes him. She kind of likes him. I mean, yeah. I, I mean, I, wait, wait, wait. wait. Rob, did you suggest that? Did you suggest that she was blind? I mean, her eyes are closed. Yeah, her and all of her portrait portraits. is always closed. That's actually a very interesting. Oh, I just thought I just thought I was like a Brock thing. And she's maybe she's like Pokemon touching his Brock. face. And it's like ooh, ooh, those jowls. Oh, froggy. <laughs> yeah, you know, it, it is possible that Leona was completely wrong, and that uh, she, he's not he's not a looker because she's unable to look at him. Oh yeah, it was his dazzling personality that won her over. And I'm okay now. Please do not take this as defending Borgen, but I, I think that him not harming um, uh, is is it Miria that's Lemina's mother? Mm -hmm. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. Okay, him not harming Miria is I, I think is 
the game trying to make him seem okay, but uh, really enslaving. But he her. Like, like, yeah, but enslaving so many people and including children. Yeah, Come and, on. and all this, and uh, just acting like a complete monster, and uh, with using power that isn't really his, is uh, why does Lemina forgive him so quickly? She, like she's a quote, mommy said too exactly yeah. yeah because the game wants this redemption sort yep. of theme running through where everyone gets redeemed no matter who they are or what they've done and it's so I, silly I, I mean i mean you're you're right it's a the game wants us to forgive all of its villains including lun borgen and galleon uh, but, yeah. Yeah, yeah, with, I mean, I 100% accept forgiving Leo and Ma and Maori, but uh, these other yeah. three, uh, these other three, way less. The, and no way. With, and with Borgen, also when uh, like when Borgen asks Lemina to kill him, Lemina's comment is even, "I'm not going to kill you because I'm the same as you." It's like, no, you're not. <laughs> no way. Like, 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 what Lem is that like? <laughs> Lemina is is cheap and aggressively recruiting people to vain. And she wants to rebuild Vane and is and is maybe a little Vane V A I N herself. But the, how does that make her the same as Borgen? I feel like something got lost in translation with there. Yeah, no, it's, I guess. it's just a long stretch of trying to again, like you guys said before, about looking for the redemption tale. And it's the idea of you know yeah. both sides of the coin are only split by that. It's, it's, it's like Lemon is. Lemina's arc is that she's maybe a little bit pushy and annoying, and then you realize, oh, she's doing this for her hometown and for her mother, and that that's why she's always getting trying to get money. And then, and then, and then you are one hundred percent on her side when you see her opponent and Borgen kidnap her mother. It's like that. That's how our feelings for her evolve mm -hmm. in the first half of the game. And that, but then she forgives Borgen because. She sees herself in him, or at least that's yeah, what the script seems to say. She was obsessed with this idea of uh, also resurrecting Vane and its power and its glory. Without, and the game is trying to use the conceit of, but really that's not what makes Vane such a special place. It's not about regaining glory and being better than everyone. It's about using that power and that knowledge for everyone. And so she looks yes. at Borgen and goes, you are the worst version of what I could become and potentially... I'm on that path, and only through this process do I realize, you know, the error of yeah, my potential that ways. Is. That's what they're going for. That, that, that's a very, that's that it... a very generous read of it, and and, and mm. I think it's it's Again, accurate. That's the yeah, I think it, that's accurate, but also like I think Not this game should good. have been crueler to Borgen. I think that before Neovane fell, we should maybe just push him off the edge. Is what I'm is sure. my suggestion. And Lun, who is responsible not just for kidnapping kids, but actually having them murder countless humans over how many years yeah. he's just able to walk because he realizes the error of his heart again for what leona just one, said one, the game is trying to go towards this we have this evil god that corrupts all coming into <laughs> you know existence and the opposite of that is to find you know the, the constant goodness in people and try to move forward and forgive bad <laughs> i don't think I don't mind like the try to find redemption thing. I think it's good, but I think the character has to earn it, and I don't feel like yeah. Lun earned it. Borgen, yeah, of course they don't. Yeah, of course Borgen. they don't. They're Borgen irredeemable. Be in jail. Once be in jail, he killed people. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah exactly. Borgen, Borgen, yeah, he kidnapped some people. He didn't do anything bad to them. I mean, yes, right? he did. He put them to work in the mine. He enslaved them. Put them in a mine to work. But you can kind walk of? out of that mine. You can just walk out of that mine. <laughs> Nothing stops them from walking out of that mine. No, you can't. You mean I the mean... monsters that you can't kill without magic? 
Oh, yeah, so, but they're sitting there anyway. Right, well, yeah, oh, yeah I mean... Because yeah, all the just, people in the mines can't do magic, so they're stuck with these monsters. It, it, look, it, it's, look, Scott is just quoting his hero, Kanye West, in, with yeah. the idea that slavery is a choice. <laughs> but I, I basically agree with both Chris and Leona. They're going for a redemption arc, and... Uh, and the, the swinging the, real hard. Yeah, swinging real hard, but with Borgen and Lunn, the redemption feels unearned, and I guess that was my problem with it. Um, yeah. yeah, of course. You're right. You're but right. Uh, but with uh, Maori or Maori, I'm not I'm not really sure. I think the game said Maori, but I always wanted to say Maori. The, yeah, uh, yeah the, it's Maori. Yeah, Maori. Okay, so with Maori's arc and Ronfar, you get to one of the more I think interesting boss fights in the game. You uh, you sort of uh, go through this labyrinthine palace. Uh, where Maori is is corrupting people to Zophar's will by uh, using basically basically the same mysticism that was in uh, the potion that Ronfar gave gave her years earlier, uh, which turned out to be the blood of Zophar and would corrupt people to and bend them to Zophar's will and help spread uh, his you know his influence throughout the church and the chosen. Um, but with her boss fight, uh, you do it without without Ronfar and get a and get a replacement Leo for your uh, um, for his absence. And while Ronfar confronts Mari's memories and uh, and basically just challenges the evil influence in uh, Mari's heart, uh, the your party is defeating sort of the different heads of some kind of fire hydra one by one. Uh, I, I thought this was one of the easier boss it, fights in this in this whole disc. It was disc. definitely easier. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the game realizes you don't have Rodfar, and they can't, yeah, they can't give you damage. Yep. Yeah, they give, they, they, <laughs> yeah, they they help you out a little bit, and um, and um, basically, if you have like one healing ring and occasional uh, healing litany from Lucia, that's probably enough. So it's it's not a very challenging boss fight, but it was a a, a real emotional one, and one with with really uh, a direct plot tie-in. So. Uh, uh, Rob, what do you think of Ron Far and Mari in this sort of mini arc? Um, I think this is actually pretty sweet um, because uh, this is this is a story arc that gets teased very very early on uh, and occasionally um, peeks its head back in. So seeing um, seeing Ron Far, you know, after forty hours, uh, finally get to um, like. He goes into her subconscious, doesn't he? Uh, yeah, to... um, so Lucia sort of she sort of yeah. explains away, explains it away, but he uh, his subconscious enters hers. It's uh, a yeah. I guess they're they're docking basically. Oh um, no! <laughs> <laughs> um, so I I wish I remembered the proper Inception term for this, but it... <laughs> yeah, it probably would have been more appropriate. I, yeah, I, have, I haven't seen that movie in like six years or something. So no, it's like Pacific Rim. They're drift compatible. Sure. Okay. <laughs> Pick your own sci-fi reference. Exactly. There you go. Anything um, other than docking. <laughs> 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 uh, you know, I had to do it to him. Um, I like, um, you know, Ron Farr goes through their their past memories together of, you know, how they met uh, in a very cheesy JRPG. Oh, no, um, a little girl is being attacked by monsters. This uh, little boy version of Ron Farr still with the uh, alfalfa sprout in his mouth is going to come yeah. to the rescue. He's um, been chewing on that alfalfa sprout for 25 years. He has. He's but never going to finish likes. it. He knows what he likes. Or like forty years, if the wanted poster is to be believed. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I, I like this segment quite a bit, um, and I think that this was a little little romance arc that was absolutely earned. Mm -hmm. and it was quite satisfying to watch play out. 
I was I was, I was confu- <laughs> I had like a moment where I was like, "Well, they grew up really fast there," because it's like <laughs> well, this little child sprite changes like to adult Ron Far, and I was like, "Well, that was a really weird time progression sort of thing." But no, that was just literally Ron Far sprite. That you you are now controlling Ron Far in the subconscious, and I was like, "Wow, he he really grew up quick." <laughs> <laughs> just going through emotional turmoil ages you 10 years in this world yeah puberty is hard and fast in moon arc you're a kid one time and all of a sudden you're an adult like, bam. Oh, crap. i can do magic now this is crazy what's going on in this world um anyway i i didn't remember uh because again this has been about 14 years between playthroughs for me whether maori died or not so when she uh when she ends up okay and surviving at the end of that ordeal, I was pleasantly surprised because I sort of thought she was going to die anyway in Ronfar's arms or something. But she didn't, so that was a happy ending. Yeah. That would have been sad. Yeah, but I, 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 like, while this, <laughs> like while the boss was going on, it's like, wait a second, did, does Mari die or not? I don't remember. But So it was a pleasant surprise to have her survive. For me, personally. We can't even kill Lun and Borg, and it'd be a shame if Mari died. <laughs> yeah, okay, that would that, that would make me upset if like like if Borgen's in the epilogue rebuilding stuff, but, Mar- but Mari just has a uh, like a, a memorial on that little hill or something. Oh no! He just hangs out I'm as hard. the library of New Vein, being like, oh, you know, <laughs> I'm alive. Don't worry about me. But any, anyway, um, shortly after that, uh. Ruby gets her own little character moment in the Red Dragon Cave because uh, in the previous three caves. You basically throw the aura at the crystal, the dragon revives, or in Null's case, he he pops in and turns into the white dragon. Mm-hmm. And uh, and sort of they, they give you their powers, but Ruby had to accept her destiny as the new red dragon and rapidly age into adulthood. But she was a little unwilling to do that because that meant, that would mean, you know, not leaving Hero necessarily, but sort of accept, acknowledging. Yeah, acknowledging that you know, she was an immortal dragon, he was a mortal human, she loves him and doesn't want, you know, to see him die and live on without him, sort of like what happened with Null and Alex. And I have mm. to very carefully not mix up Ihiro and Alex in this in this <laughs> in this uh in this mini conversation. But uh I, I thought that was a another sort of sweet moment. Like, um and 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 this scene when Null stops by and uh and you know, and 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 mentions uh, and mentions watching his friends pass. Uh, this is more even even more resonant than the scene before the White Dragon Cave, where you sort of realize how lonely Nal is for having mm-hmm. lived a thousand years with his uh, with his best friends gone. And um, it, it you know, I, I think it, it adds a little bit of uh, a little bit of you know poignancy to to Nal's place in this game. And and also is a it's nice to see Ruby you know transform into a very cute hornless red dragon <laughs> mm-hmm. the red dragon is kind of a cat-like face because it's, it's sort of fuzzy and no horns with the ears back yeah. yeah very soft look yeah but it's a cool look i uh it was nice seeing ruby doing something besides you know berating alex for staring at lucia someone has to i guess so <laughs> just burning ron far's face <laughs> yeah, yeah. Man, she does that like 10 times I know it's the best, and I think after she gets those powers, she uh, her moves on the field improve a little bit. Like she a can do, the, yeah, yeah like it goes up like thirty damage or something. Yeah, it's it's dealing thirty seven damage instead of thirty <laughs> instead of regular Three. seven. <laughs> yeah. uh, so, but that that's one nice thing. Um, 
but after you uh, finish those four dragon caves, you're finally able to return to Pentagulia, though it took me a while to figure out that I couldn't use the white dragon wings. And I had to take the um, take the boat back a pretty long ways. Yeah, they don't work the same in this game. Yeah, no, I, I think they, they they did work the same for a while, but then they lose their powers. Uh, they uh, only I, allow you to escape dungeons. Yeah, they only let you, you escape dungeons. You get an item that lets you teleport around later. And that's that's different, but I, I thought you did, you were allowed to teleport for a while because I thought I, I did that for that ice town. No, well, really? No, no. Nope. no you just no teleport out of dungeons to the entrance. Okay, I'm, I'm, I'm I am, I'm just very confused right now. I guess I. <laughs> well, it does save a lot of backtracking in every dungeon, so I'm sure you used it yeah. a bunch, and it feels yeah. like you are legitimately. I usually used teleporting. I usually used Ronfar's escape litany to get out of dungeons. Yeah, they give you too many options on how to escape from dungeons in this game. So the weird thing is, the weird thing is, is like like I said before about going back and you can actually heal in a lot of those dungeons. If you use those abilities, the monsters respawn. Yep, they respawn. Walk back if you walk out, right? Oh, oh. Right. Yeah, the dungeon remembers that you've cleared the levels yeah. until you leave the dungeon. That's only, so like I said, there's a few dungeons that don't do that, but a lot of them allow yeah. you to do that. Back to Pentagulia. Uh, it's in ruins. There's uh, some monsters walking around the town square, but they won't attack you. They just grunt at you. Yeah. And then you have a, a very linear, pretty annoying dungeon <laughs> uh, going, going up there. Uh, I had to be very, very careful with my... Uh, uh, with my MP in that section, there was a there's an accessory. Uh, I think it's the, the star ring or the starlight ring that lets you regenerate MP slowly. And I was rotating that between the different <laughs> characters uh, in the second half of that dungeon just so they could recover enough to still have a cast of blue dragon palm or uh, or incineration or, or whatever, just so I could you know cl clear enemies on the second turn. Uh, so it was a little bit of a grueling one, at least personally. But there is a uh, uh, there is a goddess statue at the very end. So I, I I skipped a couple treasure treasures, healed at that statue, then went back to get a couple of them. Um, but this just 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 continues a trend that we mentioned earlier in this episode. There's a lot of dungeon runs in the second mm -hmm. half of this game. It's just yeah. it's just dungeon dialogue, dungeon dialogue, and. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I, I want to say, like, from the... Is this Xenogears? Like, 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 from the White Dragon Cave onward, there's maybe 12 before the end of the ep epilogue, and they and there's they're really one after the other. Uh, and, and I, again, we mentioned this earlier in the episode, but, um, Scott, again, this is one of the top two games of all time, I'm not denying that, but uh, do you think that they pour it on a little thick with the with the oh, volume of dungeons in the second for half? sure. Okay. The Black... The Black Dragon part alone has three dungeons back to back to back. Mm. It's literally you yeah. If, if, if you count if you count the mines, you're right. Yeah. Yeah. It's like three dungeons back to back to back. It gets it gets like onto you after a while. It's kind of annoying. There's no doubt about that. Like I said, it, like there's some bad parts about this game, and that's definitely one of them. It's like, can can you throw me a bone here and just let me relax for a little bit instead of throwing me back to a dungeon immediately? I actually, got, I actually got excited when there was a uh, um, in the town where uh, where Mari and Ronfar are from, where there was actually a a shop to deal. It's like, oh, thank God! Please let me upgrade my equipment. <laughs> Not another dungeon, please. Yeah. <laughs> when you're playing on like a time limit, like we have to record this podcast, yeah, I feel like the dungeons are just they feel so much longer when yeah. you're like, I have to be finished on Thursday. <laughs> I think one of my eyes went one. bloodshot trying to finish. Um, uh, parts of Shadow Hearts Covenant and Digital Devil Saga last year. 
which I, oh, like, which I only did for one of those two games. It's like very much aimed at kids who were off on summer vacation rather than... Yeah, yes. <laughs> yes. When I was playing it on stream, it was like... At that point, you can see a lot of the boredom in my face because, like I said, I was just pressing one button for most of those battles. Because you just... <laughs> Catastrophe, 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 and or cre crematorium, whatever you got, AOE spell, and just that's all you do for like at least ninety percent of little half last half the game. I gave uh, um, Lemina the wind and thunder crests, and that that uh, gave you a nice combined wind thunder attack all yeah. spell for twenty five MP that I used in oh. several dungeons. That was a, that was a nice one. And uh, Leona, one thing that you mentioned probably three episodes ago, and I apologize, <laughs> was that uh, that you're frustrated at the lack of customization in Lunar One and yeah. Lunar Two. How about that crest system, huh? It's fair. It's it's good. I like it. I, I liked hearing that one quest that powered up all the other crests. The goddess crest. Yeah, that one just to see what they did when upgraded. So I spent and a lot of time. There, there's, there's, a, there's a weaker version of the goddess crest earlier that I think only powers up power quest or something like that. Yeah, but I think that only works with a handful of crests, like like, yeah. the, like the elemental magic ones. But like the, the goddess crest is the real deal. Yeah, yeah. No, it's good, it's, it, especially for elemental coverage on characters that don't have a lot of it. Uh, it's very handy. Yeah, oh, yeah, there's, I... there's actually some interesting combinations in the game. Like I said, there's some hidden combinations in the game the game doesn't tell you about. You can make your writing speed like five times if you equip the yellow pajamas, the rubber boots, and the Gorgon doll. Your character can infinitely run on the screen. That's <laughs> so stupid. I was wondering what the pajamas but, did. But, but, <laughs> here's the thing. The minute you go into battle, that character that has it's, all the stuff on asleep. goes to sleep. It, yeah, that, that's only the pajamas because I I uh, I saw that the yellow pajamas had higher defense than some of some of the other armor I had on, so I threw it on. I don't remember who Alex or Jean, I think. Mm -hmm. And then they entered the battle asleep. It's like, what happened? Oh wait, <laughs> this this isn't this isn't the return of that vile tribe person that uh, that makes that. Oh, uh, uh, Royce. Yeah, yeah. Royce? This, this is yeah. not the return of the Royce curse. It's the yellow pajamas <laughs> I gave them. Yeah, but there, there's some there's some cool combinations. The goddess crest plus Althea sword later in the game gives you another attack. There's some combinations the game just doesn't tell you because it can't tell you because you're equipping a weapon, an armor, and a like a crest or something like that, and it, you gotta look it up more soon. I, I don't mind think, hidden things of that nature, things that are like neat bonuses that aren't crucial to the games. But I, again, there is some under explanation in this game. It's yeah. like the the elemental fields. I think is a good example. But but a, a secret like that, I, I think, is kind of adorable. That, that that's some classic old JRPG stuff that uh that I, I find. You know, fun and charming, but unlike you know, um, oh yeah, the because of this thing you can't see, the red dragon will KO KO you in two turns unless you do this. <laughs> My boyfriend uh, works as like a, a translator for German video games, and whenever like there's an item that vaguely tells you what it does, that that's always like his worst nightmare because he wants everything to be very specific. Like it'll tell you exactly what stats it'll give, what abilities it'll give you, and I feel like he would have had a heart attack playing Lunar. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Uh, we had an, we had an airing of grievances episode a few months ago where Dom, Peter, and I talk about things about in RPGs that we dislike, and one of them was we 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 dislike decided that we disliked both over explanation and under explanation. So there, there there's definitely a two two extremes. Like a, like a game does not need three different kinds of stamina stats, but a game also should at least explain what the different items do with a with a tool tip or a menu entry yeah. or something. So so yeah, this the Lunar Two falls maybe a little bit on the lower end of the of the spectrum, but it, but it doesn't overwhelm you with stats and explanations either. So that's a that's that's one positive. Yeah, I guess. It's, not, it's not an overly complicated system or anything, you know. So, 
Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I'm in agreement with you guys. The, the dungeons in this game are a little samey, and they sort of throw a little bit too many at you at once in the second half. But let's talk about what happens at the end of that uh, Pentagulia dungeon. Um, first, with a what looks like a computer console, Lucia tells you like the first half of the story of what happened on the Blue Star uh, thousands of years ago. And then at the top of the tower, uh, Lucia and Zophar tell you everything that happened. And uh, so the uh, an abridged version of it is there was a, a thriving civilization on the Blue Star. Zophar came, I think, I think from extraterrestrial origin, and he was a corrupting influence that turned humanity against each other. And uh, Althena, to sort of end uh, the story that most of the people of Lunar accepted, was that Althena uh, uh, basically spirited everyone away to Lunar uh, temporarily, and the plan was to return to the Blue Star after... Uh, after it had recovered, but what they left out of that legend was that Althena used her power to basically nuke the entire Blue Star in order to stop Zophar. But she wasn't able to completely defeat him, so he was he was sealed within Lunar somewhere, slowly growing in power after they after the departure to the Silver Star, which is which is Lunar. So, I kind of saw Zophar as like a metaphor for a nuke. You know, I, I thought that's what I thought before, but it looks but it, it but maybe it might be it might still be a metaphor for a nuke because the the nuke wasn't from outside the nuke was the nuke was a creation of humans like Alfe the, the twist is Althena was the nuke and Zof and Zophar was the was the plague that the nuke cleared out yeah and, 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 you know, and yeah good uh, just the way you described the Zophar there and it reminds me a lot of Genova from Final Fantasy 7 actually this extraterrestrial threat that came and infected all these people and then also in Final Fantasy 7 that holy like wipes that eradicates everything so that's kind of like the Althena nuke of that game it's very similar it's kind of like a Kalki figure from Hindu mythology um yeah it looks this... like Z Shiva I thought it looked like Zophar if... He does actually look quite a bit like Shiva, and Kalki is a is a is one of the late uh, late incarnations of Vishnu. Um, usually, this is kind of like my least favorite kind of JRPG antagonist because it's like uh, the stakes are always so high, and the motivation is always just like because I'm a force of nature, but a sentient <laughs> one, and like I need a little bit more than that. <laughs> yeah, but. It, it... So I, I guess the twist is, if, if you can even call it a twist, is that Zophar was not the nuke. Zophar was the was the plague, and Althena yeah. was was the nuke. I and, like the stuff around Zophar more than I like Zophar's existence yeah. himself. Right. I like his, I like his design. It's very Shemigami Tensei. Oh yeah, yeah he's he's big. He's, he's, he's a creep. Back back in the day, I thought it was super creepy. He was like, yeah, he is yeah. creepy. And I, 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 I always creepy. question. I always question where's where's the top part going to? Is there another body above the clouds, or is it just connected to nothing? He's like a he's like a a, a, a lampshade, big hanging yeah. lampshade. Yeah, it's like I'm like, what the hell's up there? Yeah, but um, I'm up with Rob. Lampshade. This is not a great trope or a great concept that has been done a lot of times, but this is a uh, so far as a good version of that trope. Because I, I I believe his threat and I uh, and I don't mind him as a sort of an evil presence that's teased early and you know slowly evolves. The one thing I I find confusing is that Zophar seemed to plan this all from the beginning, 
mm -hmm. everything from Lucia's arrival to her yeah. sympathizing with humans to her ex uh, taking on Althea's power and then losing to him quickly because of her <laughs> new humanities. Like, did you really plan all of that, bro? Like, whoa, that, how convenient. It doesn't, doesn't even make sense. It doesn't <laughs> he's, been, he's been dormant for how long? And... He had nothing to do but plan, right? He's exactly. He witnessed uh, all the events of the first game, and it's fairly identical in the whole sense of Althea choosing to be human and all the and it's like it's like Ocean's Eleven. He was in prison so long he had all the time in the go. world to plan there the perfect crime. Exactly. He's perfect. just been sitting there waiting. But Multiple uh, thousands of years. I, I still haven't totally wrapped my head around how he managed to plan every element of this. But the the, the basically what happens is Lucia reveals to everyone um, what really happened on the Blue Star? Uh, the team is unusually accepting of her, and they're and they're they're still re ready to go and fight Zophar. But uh, Lucia rejects that idea. Take um, absorbs all of Athena's power herself. Tries to take on Zophar herself. Hesitates when Zophar attacks Alex, and then uh, as a result of that hesitation and and uh, blocking the attack on them, Zophar absorbs Lucia into himself and. Uh, now has his own power and Althena's power and is going to corrupt and possibly remake Lunar just like he attempted to do the Blue Star thousands of years ago. End of disc two, uh, but uh, also there's a bunch of cool anime scenes um, yeah, surrounding all of that. Yeah, those are real great. I was my favorite, my favorite actually <laughs> scene of that, that, all the anime scenes, is actually seeing old Luna at the top of the top. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, right, 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 and right, yeah, right before that, moment. Right as a fan that of the first game, sorry, as a fan of the first game, like you see Mel, and you don't see like, everyone else is dead, right? And you don't get to see them anymore. But then you see old Luna. It's like, oh man, she probably passed away. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I think we mentioned this in the previous episode as well. But uh, I have difficulty accepting Galleon's role in Lunar Two, but I think that um, Null's role and the old old lady Luna's role are, are actually quite sweet. It's uh, yeah, yeah, same. Yep. Like, like, like those, those are good callbacks. Galleon is a head-scratching callback. So anyway, um, that sets up basically the final confrontation of, uh, prior to the epilogue, where you uh, go through a, a whole new dungeon, because we're, we're definitely not sick of dungeons yet in Lunar 2, <laughs> and, uh, and you uh, conquer Zophar. He is completely surprised at, uh, at humanity's you know, potential, for, uh, potential for anything, which... Luna alluded to, but Lucia and and Zophar were unable to accept. And um, you eventually get uh, you defeat Zophar naturally and get the first ending. But before that, I want to talk a little bit more about Lucia. Uh, we did allude to this a little bit in the previous episode, but at the beginning of the game, Lucia's really only a, a messenger from the Blue Star, uh, and she knows what her goal is. But and and is a little confused by this hero character, H-I-R-O, who is also an H-E-R-O, I guess. Uh, his, his attachment to her and his complete willingness to help her, but then she sort of slowly becomes more human. She discovers shame, where she, stops, where she starts being embarrassed by her unusually frequent nudity. And, but not uh, the end. <laughs> the yeah. end, she seems over it. <laughs> yeah, and um, so she's... She's getting more attached to the to the party and is becoming sort of more human, at w to which point it compromises her mission at the top of uh, the goddess tower, and the projection or the hologram of old lady Luna seems to 
seems to have anticipated this. She's like, look, I'm sure you've gotten here with the help of human companions. Believe in them. Believe in the power of humanity. Don't do the uh, use Althena's power to nuke Zophar thing. But then she doesn't listen to, Luna, to Luna's advice and sets up the final conflict. So, and, and also, I'm sure Rob liked this. Uh, she reverts to her early game outfit uh, for, the Hell last, yeah. for the last segment <laughs> of disc two. So, what do we think of Lucia's arc? It's it, it it gets better at the epilogue, and we'll talk about the epilogue in a minute. But um, she starts out as the, as sort of extremely naive and becoming less and less naive, but then sort of throwing that all away to set up a, the final conflict. Uh, do is there something we we sort of wish was handled differently, or is I'm sure Scott is going to say Luna, Lucia's just perfect. No, I would never say that. Come on. I'm perfect. No, nah, that's close. No, no, no. I'm just kidding. <laughs> sure. All right. Hmm. I think I think it's a good arc. I mean, I like especially toward the epilogue where she... Can we talk We talk about that yet? Or We have not talked yeah. about the epilogue yet, okay, but okay. Uh, we, 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 can, we can jump around. It's yeah. fine. It's it's like she understands. She, she feels bad. She feels bad that she has to go back. And I think that's the, the part that... Uh, I think makes her the arc complete is that she she realizes she has a job to do. She has to do that job. She can't stay. She has to go. And I think that makes her uh, uh, the arc come full circle. And I kind of like it that way. I think so. It was so she was going to nuke the lunar world, right? So yeah, was she was going to she was she was going to repeat what happened on yeah. the blue star to eliminate Zophar. And um, Lu- uh, the hologram that Luna left implored her not to do that and to believe in yeah. humanity. But then she ignored Luna's advice and was going to nuke the world anyway. But then that confrontation with Zophar that we talked about earlier happens. Yeah, and well, she, it, she did take Zophar as a very serious threat. Wait, I don't know, did she see like what Zophar did to her world back then? Yeah, yeah I can't does. remember. Yeah. Oh, so yeah. I think I think she sees that as the more necessary sort of evil she had to do. So I was okay with her be struggling with that inner choice of do I do this horrible act for the greater good or do I believe in this you know metaphysical concept of humanity surviving beating Zophar, you know. Yeah, the the nuclear war analogy uh, I think holds through to that uh, to that conflict of hers as well. Mm-hmm. I like her art. I, I do like Lucia. Is she, is she Athena's daughter? Because they call her like the princess of the blue star, and I'm like, who's who's the queen of the blue star if not Athena? They're kind of like goddess, not queen. Okay. Yeah, I think right. I think Athena was an immortal goddess, and she was a like a powerful member of some royal family of the blue star is my, is my assumption, well, which, is, yeah. which is a little confusing. Cause she, I, I mean, she has a similar, similar blue hair to, to Althea. That's what, that's what I, mean, I thought because the blue hair. I thought, oh, maybe, 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 maybe they all have blue hair. Isn't she one of whatever the original beings are, even if it's I would a, think so. a goddess, yeah. it's just, she's one of the original peoples before humanity was created by Althena. Or she's mm-hmm. from that's the same she's energy that yeah. uh, Althena was born from. I mean, I think for those who have played Lunar One, it seems pretty clear that they're teasing Lucia to be like some kind of uh, incarnation of Althena, and like ultimately she ends up like inheriting that identity. Yeah, I, I was um, a little confused. I think I mentioned in one of the Lunar One episodes that Lucia was a future incarnation of Althena, because I I thought incorrectly that uh, Althena would continue to reincarnate after Luna died, which is which mm-hmm. I did not properly remember because, again, I played Lunar 2 for the first time in, like, 2004 or something. So mm-hmm. I, uh, I I mistakenly said that, that uh, 
that Luna was the first of multiple incarnations of Elthina and Lucia was a future one, and I was completely wrong. It's a, it's not really clear. That, it, I mean, it's clear that Lucia can wield Elthina's powers and is connected to Elthina at a deeper level than a, a normal human is, and uh, and she refused to humans as an other. Like she is not uh, exactly human herself. So mm. my my theory was that the civilization of the Blue Star was closer to the goddess than humanity was. And after the move to the Silver Star, the planet Lunar, um, you, you know, those people evolved or, uh, or, or, or perhaps even their powers diminished to the version of humanity that we, are, that we have now. And, and maybe it was a change over thousands of years. Maybe it was like intermingling with beast people of the, of, um, of the Lunar planet. It's, it's not 100% explained, but I don't think it's a problem exactly. Yeah, I think it's I think it's fine. I, like, I was just I was I was just wondering because <laughs> it's not very clear. I think it's something that probably would have been maybe going into detail if we actually had a proper third game. Mm. But isn't there already game. a third game? I thought. No, oh wait, no, never mind. Hey, there's there's four games. Though there's right... actually, you know what? Hold on, there's a third game. There, there is there is magic school. Magic school. Mm -hmm. That's yeah. it. Okay, we're going into the best game. Um, briefly, in our two months. <laughs> Briefly, um, it's a small thing. I like how uh, I like how um, Lucia's um, alien origins are demonstrated mechanically. I like how she's an AI-controlled character because she's yeah. like completely from yeah. uh, you know outside the context of um, of Lunar and its inhabitants, so she cannot she be doesn't controlled. Doesn't use FP either. Yeah, and also her um, as her personality changes. Her behavior, yeah, her ba behavior in battle changes because at the very beginning, or after she loses her powers, she only casts like protect magic and sort mm. of runs away. But then she, after she, you know, uh, warms up to the party, she starts healing others and using a little bit more offensive spells um, as yeah. it continues. So like, um, so a, as her character develops, her move set and her battle behavior develops. And I, yeah, I thought that, that, that was a that was a cool book. But it's not. You, you never. You never have control of her. It's you Correct. know she gets stronger and she's with you, uh, she's with you the whole time. But you know she's got her own agenda and her own yeah. duties that she must attend to. Yeah. So she distinctly feels separate, even when she's with you for like pretty much the entire game. Right. Her battle mechanics are kind of weird um, because that's true what you said, Mike. Um, but around the White Dragon Cave, that stops being true, and then she actually levels up with the party. She takes the average level of the party and she levels up with that, and her spell is actually change back to her original spells as you level up yeah she slowly kind gains her powers back and her and her hp starts getting um dramatically higher around the midpoint of the game i, I didn't know the exact mechanics of how the levels up worked but i, I did notice her getting you know I, I i i interpreted it as her discovering empathy got her to healing the party more often <laughs> and, and and casting boosting spells instead of just casting protection on on her well, that's definitely i think thematically on. that's intended yeah, yeah. yeah. It's it, yeah, it's like that synonymous growth of gameplay and actual story. Yeah, yeah but that, that's more of a disc one thing, and her gaining more spells and her and uh, and averaging level with the party is more of a disc, disc two thing. Well, I think. that also works thematically though, because as uh, as was just said by Scott, it happens after the White uh, Dragon Cave, yeah, which means yeah. that you're slowly unsealing the power of Althena again, and mm -hmm. so she's getting stronger and stronger, but now with more intense magic. Just right. like she had before was all taken from her. So it all, it, it's actually a, it's pretty well done for being kind of simple. And you can right. actually, you, 
Oh, oh, so, sorry. Oh, no, uh, you ahead, can Scott. actually check out what magic she has by um, if you, I believe you cast one of the healing spells and you quickly enter her um, her magic. Uh, you can actually because her her thing lights up as you heal her right on like the menu. You can actually check out what spell she has at that current time. Huh, you're so full of all these random knowledge I, things. I, I, I play this game a lot. I play this game a lot. <laughs> Eva, let me, as you established earlier, you don't truly understand Lunar Two until you've beaten it seven times. Yeah, apparently not. More than seven times. <laughs> Listen, I'm saying seven. Seven is the minimum. I, I I know that your number is higher than seven. But uh, anyway, um, at, at the end of that uh, boss fight against Zofar, you uh, free um, Lucia of Zofar's control, sort of during the fight. And then, because um, again, this is a this is like some Dragon Quest Four nonsense where there's multiple stages, that uh, and the and the bat and the fight keeps evolving. You get sort of ending one, where Lucia is extremely grateful for everyone, but is but again she's sort of married to her mission and has to return to the Blue Star, and then that sets up maybe the best epilogue in RPG history, where you start out again the, the world state has changed. You can visit every previous location. Uh, as long as you're, again, it unlocks a, a new mode of fast travel, and you can uh, visit every previous location in the game. There's a lo you can sort of see how the world state has changed. Uh, you get you get a nice sword from Null. There's a uh, there's you can sort of rebuild the party one person uh, one by one. Starting and with Leo. Start of course starting with Leo, and and, and also Leo. I didn't I I neglected to mention this. Leo uh, joins the party again for the for Zofar's fortress that uh, that last yeah. um, uh, dungeon before the epilogue, and that that's the true party of the game is is um kicking out Lucia and bringing in Leo. That, that the, the, that's the real five. You control all five of them, so I, I, I consider that the canon party. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Yeah. And, and it was it was satisfying having the canon party finally together because Leo was a guest in several points uh, with that burning village in disc one and then uh, for the Maori boss fight in disc two. But having him finally with you again, it's like, yes, this is this is the five I wanted the whole game. <laughs> yep. And uh, and you get it in the epilogue. You can sort of rebuild. Your, it's, you start out as only Alex. You can visit anywhere that you've been that you've been previously and a handful of new places, mostly dungeons. <laughs> Um, but you rebuild the party one by one. Uh, there's equipment and new stuff to and to find everywhere. You can there's sort of a uh, resolve the arranged marriage uh, side quest at that yeah. at, at that Romeo, town. At, Romeo at the, and Julia. Yeah, at the the town that had the um, that was separated by a by a bridge. I forget, <laughs> I forget what it's called. Noda. Noda. That's yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. East yeah. East Noda east and west Noda. But uh, th so there's a lot to do in this epilogue. But mostly, there's two very large dungeons where you um where you get dragonized. Because remember, at the if in case you you forget the first thirty minutes of the game, you, you start out collecting dragonized from a from a mysterious ruin, and you go back to that very ruin from minute one of the game. Mm. Yeah. In the yeah. in the epilogue, which is That's a, cool. a yeah a callback that I I think both. 14 years ago and 24 hours ago, I had forgotten that you go back to that starting cave. I'd forgotten about that starting dungeon until you go back to it again. Uh, so it's, it's, a good, it's a good job those level 50 enemies weren't there the first time you go there. They are, but you run away from them and never, oh, have, and, right. and never engage them. That's right. Oh my god. It's so good. <laughs> so yeah, it was, it, it's just a very cool callback that is very elaborate. I, I spent probably 7 or 8 hours in that epilogue. Yeah, it's a fun epilogue. Despite yeah. it being six dungeons, more dungeons. <laughs> See, well, no, no, it's 
It's two that you have to do, right? And there's there's another three or four, right? Well, there's the two big ones, and then there's the uh, there's the one that doesn't have any treasure in it. That's basically just a uh, that's just a tower going up, and then uh, and aren't there there's four? Aren't there three or four others that are the lion head cave? Uh, there's, there's, bra- there's, there's Brave Dragon Labyrinth, Fest, Lion's Head, um, the Brave Labyrinth, and the Lost Labyrinth. Lost, Lost Labyrinth. Yeah, yeah, lost so, Labyrinth. So, okay, okay, so, so two, man- two mandatory, four optional, then one final. So seven new dungeons in this epilogue. Uh, plus new equipment for everybody. Um, ultimate weapons. Yeah, ultimate weapons, ultimate armor, all of that jazz. It's... There's a lot to do in this epilogue. Uh, Chris, you're, again, one of the new players of this. What were your overall feelings on um, everything you could do in the epilogue here. Uh, I mean, I actually I was a huge fan of everything going on here. I did. I'm not going to say that I did every optional dungeon because I did not by any stretch. But uh, I really love being able to revisit locations. I think one of the uh, in every major game, especially a large RPG, you've invested so much time in. The lingering question is always, you know, I wonder what happened to. And in your head, you come up with. 12 different little scenarios you witnessed along the way and your imagination plays on it. I really enjoy the fact that in the Lunar series, they do this thing of like, no, go back, see what's happened. There's more to do. Go explore. Mm. I do not, I did not really love going through those dungeons just because I was Mm. per Leona. You made the joke earlier of like, we were burning through this game and you as well, Rob, of just like we had Mm. our crunch and we probably didn't play this in the healthiest way because of that with our lives and everything else. I I paced myself 12 years ago or or, 20 years ago would be far simpler. I I paced uh, myself pretty well for the Lunar 1 episodes and I I, I was ahead of schedule for both of those. And um, for the Lunar 2 first episode, I was, you know, in an okay position, but for this time I was really going to the 11th hour. Again, I, uh, it was less than eight hours ago I beat the game, um, or the, right around eight hours ago. But say. I will say the flavor of the epilogue, and as in what is going on and what you get to witness, is top-notch. And I really, really do enjoy the cast of this game. And I think that even you know, in its limited script, they did overall do a pretty great job with the uh, translation of this game. There were plenty of moments that I was actually impressed by their word choice. And I know that might sound absurd, but uh, especially considering the era and everything else, I have to say I <laughs> so found many, it. So many great. '90s references. Yeah, there's, there's, know, some, the, there's some really not nearly as much as Lunar One, to be fair. But <laughs> there are there are some there are some eye rolls in this script. Oh, but, of course, uh, of course. And, uh, but Still in, a victory, in, I don't think. Yeah, in in general, I think this is a, a an entertaining script. But uh, again. Sometimes, LOL, Victor Ireland is is uh, you know it does not age great, especially with a, especially with how acerbic he has been over the years. Um, my word but, for the era, it just it, it it is still impressive when I yeah. compare it to every other, well not every other, but a they lot put, of games. They put a lot of love into it. Early I to mid nineties, yeah, they really did. If you think of this as a, uh, I, I think a nineteen ninety three RPG with some updates, it's very, very impressive and and again consistently entertaining. I I, I love the characters in, of Lunar uh, One and Two, but mm-hmm. uh, the the script has not aged as well as people's nostalgia would dictate. I think in general, because there's, sure. there's there's a lot of positive nostalgia around the Lunar games, and most most of it is is I think earned, but n- not for the working designs uh, writing. I feel. I will say that I think the one part they don't get enough credit for is the dialogue they have for a lot of random townspeople. Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah. Uh, especially in the section, like I go back to uh, Neovane and Zabek Mines, 
a lot of the random townsfolk you can talk to in Zayback uh, actually have something interesting to say about their plight yeah. and going through the, and maybe it's a little bit of the cliche just because I've you know been in New York my whole life. But there's certain conversations of, you know, the guy being like, hey, I'm working a really crappy job, but I used to be a doctor or I used to be this. And like my life is miserable and I don't know what to do anymore. I've lost all purpose. And those little flavors of, I mean, I've had that conversation with, I don't know how many people in the city. Probably mostly taxi drivers. And there's a, it's a, oh, yes. Exactly. But it's that kind of thing of just, uh, they, I really think they in this translation, it comes across in the epilogue as well when you're exploring everything again and revisiting. The flavor of the world is really good. All right. What fleshes out the world building, the people in it, I really think they did a tremendous job. So it's fun. Yeah. That's my spiel. I'm done talking. <laughs> okay, Leona, uh, your turn. Your thoughts on the epilogue in general, but uh, maybe not quite the the real ending yet, because we'll, we'll, uh, we'll hit that right. in a second. Okay. Uh... Well, I actually did do all the dungeons because I'm what? Sickening. <laughs> I, I, I don't know why. I thought there would be more like plot-related stuff in all these dungeons, so I was like, they're going to talk about it on the podcast, and I'm not going to have a clue what I'm talking about. <laughs> so I did every dungeon, and I got really angry when I got to the end, and it was like, oh, a shield, great. Uh, I think the best thing not plot-related was maybe Alex's Ocarina, Ocarina. That, yes. yeah. So that was a fun little callback that uh, and it plays all the music from the game. So that, that was, was nice. Yeah, that was a time before. Well, the fledgling stardiums of maybe like YouTube, you didn't have access to that music outside of yeah, the soundtracks. So you had to fire up the game, listen yep. to the soundtrack. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, it was fun collecting some bromides, getting traumatized by Borgen's bromide. Uh, Borgen's bromide is the best. <laughs> <laughs> that's the best one. <laughs> I like Again, to... Maybe it's for the best that Miria might be blind. <laughs> yeah, for her he sake, has... I hope she's blind. He has two, by the way. He has two bromides. Has oh, that's the. I only got the one. I he did see in the guide that I was checking that there's a second one that you can play a mini game to um to obtain, but it, that I was not interested in dealing with that. <laughs> it, no, it's literally just press XLXL right behind him at the thing. Nope, too it. complicated. So Skip it. Yeah, not worse. Not worse. <laughs> uh, no, I, I like going. As I said, it was like a time crunch, and I was a bit stressed out, like having to finish these dungeons. But so I think I would have enjoyed it more if I didn't feel so under pressure. But uh, I, f I felt like the dungeons were too long, too many enemies sometimes. Uh, I think we can agree the epilogues great for exploring the new world state uh maybe less great for being so thick with dungeons but mm. it does get us a very very sweet second ending um I, 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 again and like that that look in in lucia's eyes i actually made almost brought tears to my eyes like oh this is just adorable this is so wholesome yeah. like rpgs were different 25 years ago <laughs> uh uh so rob what are your thoughts on the Maybe epilogue in general, but also with the context of uh, the ending in which Hero joins Lucia at the Blue Star. Um, I'll, like, I'll just briefly say I like a good playable epilogue. Uh, this one was a little bit too dungeon heavy for me, and I was yeah. a little bit lunared out uh, by this point. But um, I am a hopeless romantic, so the idea of like, you know, chasing after um, the person you love who has to go and do some uh, lonely duty, and then just like. Be alone with them so they don't have to be alone i really like that 
um even though like in real life that would you just drive each other crazy but um <laughs> yeah. in uh an idealized <laughs> i believe in lucia and hero okay <laughs> kind of yeah. don't take yeah. this yeah. away yeah. from me robert you can have this continent i'll have this continent let us never see each other again <laughs> robert can we please write the sitcom that happens just one week after the epilogue where they're like what where did you put my shirt <laughs> oh my god okay which yeah. so so in this version of the odd couple which one's oscar and which one's felix because oh, I, I don't know which one of them is they almost feel like know. they would both be oscar because yeah because neither of them are are nearly as fastidious <laughs> as, nice. as felix well i'll have to come back to that <laughs> Lucia. Why not? Uh, yeah i i think the ending is sweet too like uh because I think I played this maybe this uh, only a little bit before playing um, Dragon Quest Eight for the first time, like probably a year before playing Dragon Quest Eight, and mm -hmm. so I experienced the two best epilogues in JRPG history back to back, basically. And both of them are um, new dungeons recontextualizing certain characters and series, only for the uh, for the sort of the destined pair to meet each other at the end. It's mm -hmm. it's it's very sweet and romantic. Mm -hmm. In a way that I that I enjoyed 14 years ago and do and did pretty clearly remember and uh, it was a joy to experience it again. Um, so Scott, just double checking, still top two RPG of all time. That stupid song gets me every uh. goddamn time, mm -hmm. every time. Like every time, like she opens her eyes and that stupid that those first three chords from that song start playing and I'm like. Damn! <laughs> every time. Did you I, cry on click, stream? Yes. Click like if you cry every time, because that's the best part of the game. <sighs> Send a sub if you cry every time. Yes. Um, excuse me, I got to go update my PayPal information. Uh, no, I like it's. I, I I like I like I also like the fact that he's hanging upside down. I think that's the best part. It's like it's, it's a very throwback to the first part of the game. It's like, hey, I am here. It's really cute. <laughs> Found it's you. So cute. <laughs> For a second, I, I was it. expecting a Spider-Man kiss, but didn't get it. Yeah, they, they did. They, they they the Speaking of kissing, they actually kiss. You know what? Yeah. They, they good, do, but they don't. But they, but they don't have a Spider-Man kiss, which is yeah. which was what I briefly thought. But like thought every of. JRPG, like just I'm with Stephanie a lot of this. Just kiss already. Just, they never. Kiss. Yeah, they no, never no. Kiss yeah, JRPGs. yeah. A lot of RPGs, especially JRPGs, are frustratingly chased. Yeah, uh, I, I would. Is, I would say. This is a Japanese media thing. Um, yeah. They were, as far back as like pre-war cinema, they really didn't want to show kisses on screen. Yeah, and then once uh, McCarthy came in and started dictating what uh, the new values in Japanese cinema would be, they, you know, the Americans were saying, okay, now you have to like consummate romance and show kissing. And then like, they kind of like did a bit of rebellion against that. Ozu famously, like yeah. his movie ended with a kiss and they, uh, the lady like put her parasol in front of the screen just before they touched lips. Yeah, no, it was, it's almost like <laughs> so. death in a Greek tragedy or something. It, it all it all is implied, and all the emotion of the death is there, but all deaths have um, happen off screen, in, or actually mm -hmm. off stage in Sophocles and Aeschylus and Euripides yeah. plays. And and so and and like consummating romance romance is like that in uh, a lot of old Japanese movies. Like I I think of the Ozu movie Tokyo Story, which is basically mm -hmm. just a lot of frustration and despair over a marriage with uh, with almost no romance in it and so and again that probably does a, a, a lot of japanese theater and japanese cinema bleeds into more modern japanese art like uh, like cartoons and video games and even tokusatsu 
shows mm-hmm. uh, where there's uh, again for me because I'm a hopeless romantic too. I like it when uh, when two likable characters get together in in a yep. work and uh, and again Lunar One is a pretty romantic game with three distinct couples and Lunar Two has at one a, at least one distinct couple among the main cast. Uh, it, it was nice having to seeing them kiss and maybe mm-hmm. not as good as Kyle and Jessica who don't I, I who I don't think uh visibly kiss in Lunar 1 but uh, but have the best relationship in either game I think. Uh but mm-hmm. it was you, you know I I was very very satisfied by the sweet romantic ending to the epilogue because again this in Dragon Quest 8 like put put romance in JRPGs please. Yeah. Also the grass is starting to grow in the blue stars so it's like kind of a hopeful Things are starting to get better there, rather yeah, than a, a very, a very hopeful always, final. Image. I've always questioned how how did um hero find Lucia there? Because the Star Dragon Tower doesn't necessarily bring you where the Blue Dragon, the Blue Spire brings you, right? Like, I I want to know. I want to know these things. I want to know, like, <laughs> like how long it took him to walk the exactly. earth, so to speak, before he found There's it. There's nothing there. No, he he just landed in the right place because he knew where to go, yeah, like the like the yeah. house and up after it falls from the sky and lands in exactly okay, the yeah, place it's supposed exactly. to be. <laughs> but uh, just game arts, give me a third game, please. I just I want to know these things. I want to know what happens to Blue Star. Yeah, I think mm-hmm. game arts is confi- well. is confined to the minds of Gung Ho Entertainment. Yeah. Well, but, since the since the writer has passed yeah, writer, on. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I know. I, I know that's the reason why, but I, I just just I want a third game. It's gonna be a gallon. If I had if I had one sequel wish, it'd be Lunar Three, please. A proper Lunar Three. Just one though. Yeah, that's I wonder what that would look like. I mean Um Oh yeah, I mean Hmm. You know, I I was uh slightly hopeful that maybe a Lunar could three uh, excuse me, a Lunar Three could happen in this world of sequels being revived by crowdfunding campaigns where it, it I don't know, some enterprising a uh, writer from within the gung ho umbrella would uh would, would you know put a project out similar to uh Shenmue 3 or uh, uh or, or something like that but it it has not happened at all which is too I bad of games that I revived like that <laughs> big big part oh yeah I, I mean for me the top of the list would probably be Skies of Arcadia but uh but Lunar 3 absolutely has a has a place on that list and it's there's no indication that it'll ever happen, which is too yeah. bad. I, again, I mean, in my my heart wants it, but there's no evidence to suggest that it will happen soon. They tried again 12 years ago, and yeah, it worked out. Yeah, exactly. Again, the less said about Dragon Song, the better. And what? I hope... no, there's no, there's, I don't know if that game exists. No, 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 still doesn't exist. It's not real. It's not real. I want. I don't. How bad is this game, you guys? Bad. Have not obviously not played. <laughs> it's, it's, like, real it's really not. It's really not fun no idea. at all. Never heard a nice thing about it. I think it was a fairly early DS game, though. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was like two thousand. Yeah, I was the reason why I bought DS. I bought DS for that game, and I regretted it. Well, not eventually, but. But in that moment. Yeah. Is it actually a sequel, or is it just in the universe it's, of? It's a prequel. It's its place. I think what. A thousand years before, it's one of those. Yeah, it's like, oh, okay. So they're really kind of the okay. okay, so I, I guess I guess technically Lunar D, uh, DS one and two are separated by a thousand years each. Yeah. So a Lunar like, three would would have to be a thousand years after Lunar two, obviously. 
Well, I mean, there's Magic School as well, which is... <laughs> Magic School takes place, like, I think, like, 40 or 50 years before Lunar 1. It doesn't take that... It, it is, but that's yeah. also pretty cool. And then DS... I don't I think the DS one's, like, like 500. I don't think it's 1,000. I think it's, like, 500. It's, it's, it's a long time, but... I think it is. Because um, it's, it's all about how... The main thrust of that game is about yeah. how... Uh, the humans and the beastmen don't get along. Um, and the beastmen are, ah. are enacting supremacy against the humans, and and it's this rebellion, and there's an evil dragon master, and it's all kind of meaningless. Um, I kind of liked. Um, it's just you know, a story in the world kind of thing. Yeah. yeah, I mean, there's not a whole lot of tension between the races in the other lunar games, and I kind of like that. Um, yeah. so, like, if you're gonna go for that tension, like, go hard and yeah, go examine what that is reasons. like, rather than just. Yeah. Yeah, it, it it really amounts to not very much at all. That makes sense. We never sure really get an explanation about why they're with pixies that Galleon looks after. <laughs> yeah, that's what, I, I think those. I think are, that's I just think... meant to like humanize Galleon. Yeah. Yes. Just, I, yeah. Galleon. <laughs> Again, so I, I I love Null's role in Lunar Two. Galleon feels so out of place. I, I don't think he yeah. needed to be in this game at all. It's even, just like the, the, the red herring. Is, He's just a giant red herring. You don't even get a proper Galleon boss battle. Game. Yes, you do. No. Yeah, you do. Yeah, you do. Yeah, you do. You, you On the roof of Vane. You gotta beat him. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, right. No. I'm sorry. We didn't talk about it, yeah. but you do fight him, and it's the worst thing ever. Yeah, but it's not really exactly. That's, that was going to be my yeah. follow-up to that. Yeah. <laughs> it just feels and like, oh, we're fighting you now on the roof? Okay, thanks fair, for showing up, dude. To be fair, he's a gimme boss fight. He's actually like pretty easy yeah. to beat. Yeah. Oh yeah, he, no. The fact is, everything I, after it, it was so forgettable that it, I I did that probably twenty hours ago or like forty hours ago, and have definitely forgotten about it. But yeah. he just gets to show up with smarmy dialogue, and then all of a sudden, he's a good was, guy. yeah, I was I was trying to help you all along. That's why I was trying to kill you all the time, yeah, and then ugh. and then he ascends into heaven in a golden light. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's terrible. <laughs> Oh, that's weak. All right, well, if we're talking about the worst parts of Lunar 2 and a DS game that may or may not exist, we're probably close to wrapping up. Yeah, we're off. Um, yeah, uh, uh, starting yeah. with you, Leona, um, just, uh, again, final thoughts on Lunar 2. Uh, do you regret doing this for the podcast or not? No, I absolutely don't regret it. I love, I love playing these games. I'm really glad I played them. Um, some of the best characters in RPGs you know, are, exist in these two games. Um, I also think that Leo is probably one of my new favorite characters I've discovered, so I'm really happy about that. <laughs> but also, I, we didn't talk about it, but that Leo uh, Mari has a bromide, and it's like she has her own mystery sort of yeah. sidekick. Oh, oh, yeah, oh yeah, her own, her own mystery mask. Yeah. Yeah, mystery. Yeah. Oh, that was great. Robert's so, <laughs> just sitting there like, oh my god. <laughs> yeah, like this is my thing, Mari. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's brother and sister. <laughs> Stop stealing everything I do. <laughs> All right, and uh, so Chris, same thing. Um, overall feelings about Lunar Two and uh, regrets. Uh, do, do you have any regrets about doing the podcast? No, not at all. I like I said, my biggest issue is just the the grind, especially towards the end. Uh, it's not exactly fun. I think a lot of us got burned out by it, but I really did mm -hmm. enjoy the game. It's a really good game. It still is. It has its flaws, but still great. All right, Rob. Overall feelings about Lunar Two. Uh, I like it. It it I I enjoyed playing it again. I enjoyed getting my comeuppance uh, several years later. Um, I gotta say, it doesn't touch my heart the same way Lunar One does. I feel like I feel like there's a strong setup. 
you know, we talked about this in episode one that like having the four heroes and Althina recontextualized as like a force for uh, oppression is a pretty smart move, but I think it doesn't fully follow through on that potential, um, you know, for reasons that we talked about, Lun yep. and Borgen especially. Um, on the whole, I think. I think Lunar 1 and 2 make up like a pretty nice little package together, like two su two different sides of, of one coin. And whereas I, I will, I think I'll always prefer that first game, I, I really do like what Lunar 2 tried to do. And I think for the most part, it was successful. Awesome. And Scott, I, I know I've asked you this question probably eight times. Uh, your thoughts on one of the top two games of all time? It's, it's still, like I said... The last half of that game is a grand for us to 100% correct. It's, but every time when you get to that stupid ending with that stupid song, we get you every single time. You feel it's worth it, and it's it's lovely. I like it. All right, and I guess it's my turn. Um, I was eager to replay these two games for the podcast. We uh, resisted doing um, Lunar 1 and 2 earlier in the Life of Retro Encounter because these games were hard to find, and we try to avoid games where access is really difficult because then uh, because then it's less likely that listeners will be able to follow along and less, less likely that RPG fan staff people will be able to get a copy of the game to, um, to play along. But... Uh, because of RPG fans' history as the former LunarNet, and because uh, a lot of people within RPG fan staff have a um, really love Lunar One and Two, uh, we, we were able to get to pull this together with uh, with plenty of interest. But again, uh, the grind in Lunar Two is real, and at times, uh, Friday and Saturday night recently, I was a little bleary-eyed, like. <laughs> I guess I gotta finish this. Oh damn! Oh man, there's another one. Oh god! Why, 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 why can't the why can't the dragons just live in houses? Um, so there there was a little of that, but I am I'm very glad that I was able to um, replay Lunar One and Two, and I thank all four of you from the bottom of my heart to uh, re-experience these games with me. It was it was uh, yeah. it was a pleasure and an honor podcasting with y'all. Oh, so sweet. Thank you. Same. But all right. If uh, if I if I thanked my podcasting partners, now it's time to thank you listeners for listening to hopefully four episodes all about Lunar 1 and 2 over this month. They were a lot of fun to record, and I hope you had fun listening to them. Uh, next week on Retro Encounter, we have a special RPG Worlds discussion. We already recorded that episode, and uh, Leona, you, uh, you and I had a, a very fun discussion about different settings <laughs> of RPGs with uh, Alana and Hillary. Yeah, it was great fun. So, uh, yeah, listeners, please look forward to that in the first week of August. We, uh, following that, we have a special Final Fantasy VII episode. Not really about Final Fantasy VII, the PS1 game, but more about uh, contextualizing our nostalgia with that PS1 game with what might be coming in this upcoming FF7 remake. That's right, it's our hopes and fears for the FF7 remake. Uh, I do not know how that discussion is going to go, so we'll, we'll see. Uh, but following the FF7 episodes, we will have two episodes all about Shadow Hearts 1. Those, that's uh, coming in August. Um, we did Shadow Hearts Covenant last year, and a lot of people in RPG fan staff wanted to do a Shadow Hearts 1 episode, so we are making that happen. Those That's uh, one in the middle of August and one at the end of August. But more importantly, uh, 
we have a very special episode 150 coming very soon, and uh, we're going to have that be a listener mail episode. So you probably heard a stinger at the beginning of this episode, but listeners, please send emails to retro at rpgfan.com in the next few weeks. Uh, we're going to record episode 150 in mid-August, and it's going to be all responses to listener emails. So if you have a discussion topic, a question about the podcast, or a suggestion for a future episode, um, please include that in an email, and we will respond to all of the ones that we can. I don't know exactly when we're recording it, but it's going to be the second or third weekend of August, so please send in your emails before then. Now, uh, in addition to emailing us, there's also RPG Fan Forums, RPG Fan Twitter, Facebook, Discord, Instagram, uh, that you can find links to on the front page of RPGFan.com. Uh, there's another podcast hosted by that fine website, Random Encounter, which is hosted by Derek Heemsbergen, that goes usually every two weeks. But that's uh, more focused on current events and what staff members are playing. And also, uh, I think I maybe I mentioned a second ago, there's a RPG Fan Twitch page where we have streams going on I think every day. Is that is that right, Scott, or is it more... Every day. Okay. Usually every day, maybe five or six days a week, depending on availability of, of streamers. But if you want to check out the Twitch schedule, you can either go to the RPG Fan's Twitch page or go to the front page of RPGFan.com where the Twitch schedule should be on the right. But uh, listeners, you can also review us uh, on iTunes or Google Play or wherever you're listening to us. Um, we appreciate any reviews and any feedback that you are willing to provide. Uh, again, uh, retro at rpgfan.com is the probably the best way to give feedback, especially if you want to write about episode 150. So, oh boy, that was a lot of housekeeping. But, um, gentlemen and lady, uh, let's talk about how listeners can reach us individually, starting with you, Chris. You can find me on Twitter at, at @chrisgebauer. All right, and Scott, how can listeners find you? Uh, I do not have a Twitter or Facebook, but you can definitely find me on the RPG Fan Discord, and of course, you can find me all the time on the RPG Fan uh, Twitch account. I'm there all the time. We stream like every day. Um, we stream these Lunar games. We streamed. Uh, we stream Knockbeth. We stream Persona Three next, so it should be a lot of fun. Cool. Stop by. Mm-hmm. Come and chat. We'll talk. Is is uh, is the archive of those st- of um, past streams yes. relatively accessible? All of the, the 628 videos of VODs sitting there if you want to go through all the games we played. That is many videos on demand, and that is excellent. Yes. All right, Leona, your turn. Uh, I go by Starmongus on Twitter, and on the Discord, I go by Starmongus. <laughs> I appreciate the consistency, which I do not have. <laughs> I mean, I'm not as consistent as Scott, who just goes by Scott. Yes. <laughs> My name. Sometimes, sometimes he's Scap. Yeah, sometimes. Oh, yeah. Yeah, sometimes. <laughs> but, Rob, your turn next. I'm on Twitter, at MissAnthraBob. I'm not on the Discord because I don't like thinking fast, so uh, let's let's have some uh, some delayed tweets back and forth to keep my anxiety at bay. Right on. And because I am an anxious social media monster, I am everywhere. I am Monsoon on the RPG Fan Forums. I am Monsoon Mike on the RPG Fan Discord. And I am at the Real Monsoon on Twitter most of the time, but I have a second Twitter account where I get a little weird called at Evoker for Dogs. Whoa, we're getting wild here with this Evoker. <laughs> it's built into his collar. It's an Evoker for Dogs, which Scott may experience very shortly if he's going to be yes. playing Persona 3. Yes. So, listeners, this was a long one, but thanks for joining us on this lunar journey with us. Uh, But it's finally come to its end. Thank you, good night, and good luck.
story forgotten, the memories of true love stolen from time. A darkened romance, try hard to Destiny.